Making your way through the bustling streets of Sierra Leone's capital city, Freetown, it would be easy to miss the slender, nondescript structure tucked between two multi-storey buildings in a commercial hub downtown. It's incredible to imagine that after the first gathering at Harmony Hall, Zion Church has stood in this exact spot on Wilberforce Street for about 200 years. In an area marked on early settler maps as Settlers Lot 47 and Lot Natasha Leopold. Welcome to Zion Freetown 230. Episode 5. The Lord Builded a House. Zion Through the Decades. From the History of Zion Methodist Church, Wilberforce Street, written by the late Professor Macbelly File. Extracts by Brian W. Samuels. Before Zion Church was built, worship services were held in a small compound at the corner of Garrison Street and East Street. It was the property of a lady fondly called Mammy Wilson. And the catchy invitation to service back then was Big Meeting at Mammy Wilson Compound. Eventually, the congregation would occupy the land where the church now stands, bequeathed to them by Mary Ash. Mary was a washerwoman. Her husband, William Ash, was a mason by trade. They had a daughter, Esther, and records show there was also a Benjamin Ash, likely a younger brother or relative. He was a labourer. It was William's dying wish for the land to eventually be given to the Huntingdons for worship, which Mary fulfilled in her will dated 30th January 1819. By 1825, the congregation's links to the Huntingdon connections in England strengthened under the leadership of Reverend John Ellis until his death in 1839. For this, he was dearly missed by his congregation, who erected a marble tablet to his memory and as a testament to his dedication. John Ellis formed the first trustee board in 1825. Among the first set of trustees were the minister in charge, Ellis at the time, Anthony Elliott, John Proverbs, Ezekiel Cartwright, James Jackson, Joshua Stevens, Isaac Streeter, Joseph Dixon, and others. In the hands of these trustees, the property was duly vested and the deed registered. Hello, my name is Bidemi Carroll. I live in Rockville, Maryland. I am really honored to be a part of this podcast series. And while I don't have a direct connection with Zion Wilberforce Street, one of my ancestors, George Carroll, was one of those that came across to Freetown from Nova Scotia. And I do believe he had a connection. In fact, he was a member of the Board of Trustees of College Chapel 
Rodin Street, which is one of the churches that was in the same circuit as Zion. By the time of John Ellis's death, J.B. Elliot describes Zion as having 11 chapels, five weekday schools, three Sunday schools, 48 preachers and exhorters, and 89 class leaders. There was a thriving community of volunteers with the exception of the seven paid male and female teachers who taught weekday school. There were 510 children in attendance at the day school and upwards of 600 adults and children in the Sunday school. The work suffered for a few years after John Ellis's death, but Anthony Elliott had begun ministering to people even before and was able to fill the gap. Anthony Elliott was a pilot who had arrived from Nova Scotia as a boy and he took charge and expanded the work when Ellis died. During Elliott's time, Zion had outreaches and established missions where their members traded in places such as Mabang and Rukanta in the 1850s. In 1852, some vague assistance began to flow due to the increased contact with England by a senior preacher of Nova Scotian descent named Scopio Wright. Wright was invited to England and ordained into the Huntingdonian connection. Much of the church work in the 1850s and 60s devolved on John Beckner Elliott, a prominent member and son of Reverend Anthony Elliott. He was a brigade clerk in the colonial government from the 1840s and he became manager of the Western District, a very high office stationed at Kent. This took him away from church duties, which made him hand over the oversight of the church to his brother, Richard Rixby Elliott. J.B. Elliot describes in meticulous detail the religious services, the days and hours for service and prayer, scripture readings, meetings, the manner of dress and conduct, divine service, watch night, love feast, the hymn song and the sacrament. This mode of worship and form of church governance Elliot wrote in 1851 has been strictly followed by this body of Christians since the Nova Scotians landed in Sierra Leone 59 years ago. Quote, they never received religious instructions from European ministers, but have themselves managed their own affairs. He goes on to write about the community's positive interaction with Shebra King Camber, peoples of the Bollum Shore and of missionary prospects in West Africa. Richard Rixby Elliot, or Old Rixby, as he was fondly called, was the grandfather of Reverend E.R. Elliot Spain, Agnes Peterson, and Nora Morgan, the mother of Bill Morgan, who retired from active church service as senior society steward in the 1980s. The Elliot family's dedicated service to the church resulted in it being nicknamed the Elliot Church. Zion had difficulties in the 1860s, with no permanent minister and Rixby, who was a harbour pilot, would invite officer chaplains to come and help them. However, this was a temporary measure. 
Records show that Reverend Ralph Taylor, a West Indian and an Oxford graduate, arrived in to a warm welcome by the Zion congregation. For a period, Zion was on the move again, but a brief illness resulted in Taylor's death in 1870 after serving for less than two years. From 1870 to 1878, Rixby served Zion in a commendable manner, though he was not a pastor. For a period in the 1870s, the British Huntingdon Connection sent Reverend John Trotter Williams to become pastor at Zion. Trotter is reported to have had a difficult time with the Freetown congregation because of his authoritarian tendencies. This led to the congregation turning him out. Thereafter, Zion ceded from the Huntingdon Collection, which plunged them into difficulties as they were without any recognised spiritual leader for many years, forcing them to seek preachers from among other churches. In 1887, the leaders approached the African Methodist Episcopal Church, seeking affiliation with them and asking for the appointment of a priest, Reverend John Frederick. A young West Indian was sent as a pastor for Zion. He arrived with his wife and daughter Anna on New Year's Day of 1886 to the delight of the Zion congregation. Reverend Frederick, described as a good preacher, drew in former congregation members and newer ones. His wife was equally energetic and his daughter became the church organist after the death of its former organist, Mr. Moses Pratt. Frederick organized a choir of mixed voices that did not wear robes at the start. The church and day school grew with Frederick at the helm. Mr. H. M. Steedy, who later became a reverend that went on to become a pastor at New Zion AME Church, was the teacher and headmaster of the school. However, the school closed and later on the building was transformed to an all-purpose hall named after Alfred Sawyer, who served as Senior Society Steward and Sunday School Superintendent in the 1950s and 60s. Outreach programs were improved and expanded in places such as Macbillay to the north. During Reverend Frederick's tenure, Zion had a brass band, the first of its kind in Sierra Leone, in 1905. The choir started wearing robes in 1918, and by then it only included males. Females who were initially part of the arrangement reappeared in the 1940s. A Sunday school that initially included adults as well as young people and children was set up, but eventually rearranged to accommodate children and adolescents only. The main families of Zion Church used to live not too far away, as was the old custom, and there was a homely feeling among the congregation, which resulted in the church being regarded as Fambul Church. Among the Huntingdonian Methodists that came from Nova Scotia, there were also some Baptists. They erected a church at Brodding Street. Some of the Huntingdonians separated away in 1847 and built a chapel of their own in Lumley Street, which they called Spafield, commonly known as Free Grace. The Lady Huntingdon's Free Church at Waterloo which was a branch of the Nova Scotian Huntingdonians, 
ceased union with the parent body some years after. Zion Wesleyan Methodist Church, commonly referred to as Zion on the Hill, was established in 1817, distinct from Zion Wilberforce Street, referred to as Zion on the Level. Under the Wesleyan Methodists, Zion Wilberforce Street was placed in a circuit arrangement together with Maroon Church, College Chapel Rodden Street, and for a long time, Spurfield Church at Upper East Street. The circuit is usually headed by a superintendent who is replaced after serving his or her tenure. Among the superintendents were Reverend P.A.J. Williams and Reverend Gashon Anderson, who served in the 1950s and 60s respectively. Reverend Anderson is said to have embarked on some renovation drives through a development fund in which the windows, pews, and pulpit were changed alongside a new three-manual electric organ and other items. A rededication service of the church was organized after this, and all were merry, including all Mammy Elizabeth Wilson, nicknamed Mammy Kanda, who moved the entire congregation as she danced up and down the church aisles singing. Readings from interviews with Zion Church members, including conversations with the late Mama Moke Hamilton for an oral presentation at Chapel Sunday 2004. The first church organization to be established at Zion was the Ladies Industrial Association in 1936. This was a time when Creole women were described as independent. Many were petty traders and some even owned factories. The Ladies Industrial Association sought through fellowship to enhance the spiritual life of members and involve them in the life and work of the church. Their activities, as the name Ladies Industrial implies, included sewing, cooking, luncheon sales and jumper sales, bazaars, masquerades and theatrical performances to raise money for the church and other charitable organisations. Then, their uniform in the true spirit of industry was a khaki dress and bowler hat. President of Zion Ladies Industrial was the late Mama Sawyer, who, according to Olivia Hamilton's bicentenary article, worked alongside other members like Caroline Hamilton, Cassandra John, Mama Carney, Mama Nelson Horton, Miriam Streeter, Helen Cole, Eliza Wilson, Nora Morgan, Antonia Campbell, and many others to get the association off the ground. Many of the older Zion members recall a bank holiday concert held every first Monday in August at Memorial Hall opposite Freetown Cold Storage on Howe Street and the hugely successful Badman Bete Pass Empty Us, a play written by the late Mrs. Taylor Pierce with performances by Miss Elsie Elliott and the late Adeline Elliott.
Earlier articles show that men traditionally held most positions in the church, including that of a steward, namely serving and society stewards. The first woman senior society steward, Marion Morgan, was elected in 2003, having served as a steward for almost 30 years. The duties of the church stewards include serving during church services, involvement in church projects and fundraising activities, particularly towards Zion's scholarship fund, which today supports students for secondary and tertiary education. Society stewards also attend home visitation with assisting with hymn books and Bibles for the visits. The schoolroom, an integral feature of the church, has seen much change. Chapel steward Tunde Smith recalled when the school, then called the Hope Day School, was renovated and renamed Wilverforce Street Municipal School. Eventually, the building was turned to the church and the school moved. In 2004, when this piece was written, the building was undergoing renovation after it was destroyed during the January 6, 1999 invasion of Freetown. My name is Hector Goddard Morgan, scion of Sir Ernest Dunstan Morgan and Gertrude Alafia Mason. I was brought into the Zion family by my granduncle, the Reverend C.T. Newstead, who served as a circuit minister in the Central Circuit in the early 1940s. My earliest memory of Zion includes scrubbing the church floor for the Harvest Sunday service, the Sunday school at the schoolroom, and being lined up in church to read short passages from the Bible, starting with my letter is A to the end of the alphabet. I went with Reverend Newstead on his deployment to the Methodist Church based in Bond Island. On our return from Bond, I served briefly as a chorister at Zion during my early days in secondary school. I came back to Zion from Canada with my young family in 1976. We were received with joy and enveloped with love. I have since served as president of the Zion Men's Fellowship, steward of the Central Circuit, and on the leaders' meeting. I will continue where Natasha left off, reading from the anecdotal accounts presented on Chapel Sunday in 2004. By February 1967, in a time of much political and social upheaval, the Methodist Church of Leone, of which Zion is a part, was established as an autonomous body by the signing of a deed of foundation Sarah Leone now also belongs 
to the West African Council of the Methodist Church. Our church recognizes two sacraments, baptism and the Lord's Supper. The principal course of the church are the leaders' meeting, the circuit quarterly meeting, and the district synod. Zion belongs to the central circuit whose societies are Zion, St. John's Maroon, and College Chapel. Associations of the church are Ladies' Industrial, Women's Fellowship, Men's Fellowship, Committee of Ladies, Stewards' Unions, Youth Fellowship, and the Girls' Brigade. Norman Thomas, in his reflections at the bicentenary celebrations of the church, recalls the years from 1926, when Sunday services were held at 9 a.m. and 7 p.m., and Sunday school was at 2 p.m., attended by the young and old alike. He recalls the choir members from the Hamilton, Elliot, Jackson, Morgan, Tucker, Davis, Campbell, Peacock Cole, Wood, Samba, and Williams families. The choir master at one time was Mr. Valentine Wood. The organist and assistant were Simeon Thomas and Kojo Elliott, respectively. The first set of women in the choir appeared in the late 40s, among whom were Mrs. Moke Hamilton, Mrs. Drusilla Tucker, Cordelia Jackson, her daughter Alice, and Mary Peterson. The choristers' robes were black. Over the years, they changed in colors to purple, green, blue, etc. Norman Thomas recalled Sunday school members like the Parkers, Blydens, Terry's, Barristers, Streeters, Benjamin, the Clays of Big Wharf. He mentions the Wesley Guild for female members and wardens, among whom were members from the Mark, Sawyer, Thomas, Fitzjohn, and Kearney, Elinda, John, Cole, Thomason, Green, Gray, File, Smith, and Coca families. Superintendent ministers at the time were Festus Johnson and T.C. Parker. Sunday school was instrumental in molding the Christian lives of many children, including the Reverend Esther Williams, former superintendent of Zion Church. His brother Abiodu was bell ringer, and every Sunday at 2 p.m. would be dressed and off to church. Within minutes, Times of boys and girls come to school would be heard in the distance. Sunday school started at 2.30 p.m. 
At the time, the Sunday school was divided into six classes, with the primary class taking the Sunday school scriptural examinations held annually at Methodist Boys High School and later at Boxton School on Charles Street. In the 70s, the meeting time changed from 2.30 p.m. to during the service after the second lesson because other Sunday afternoon activities attracted the children. From the early 1940s, most Zion members lived around Charlotte Street. The Packers were on Howell Street, the Deaths and Kennedy Coles, Allens, and the Clements lived on Wilberforce Street, as did the Samuels. But Brown on Wilberforce Street owned a drug and provision store, and Mama Laura Lewis sold prints and head ties. The Hamiltons lived on East Street and Wellington Street. The Williams, Thomases, and Smiths on Rodden Street. The Morgans at King Jimmy. The Jacksons at Fourth Street. The Files at Bombay Street. And the Lepels and the Elliots at the start of Regent Road and Back Street. The 1992 Bicentenary celebrations started in grand style with an awujo in memory of the ancestors, the early settlers. The next day saw a symbolic candlelight parade tracing their steps from Government Wharf up to Water Street, then to Oxford Street, along Westmoreland Street, past the Cotton Tree and onto St John's Maroon Church. On Sunday the 29th of March 1992, the opening service was held at Zion and the congregation was joined by members of the Hamilton family from Nova Scotia, descendant relatives of Hamilton's that had made the 1792 voyage and remain a core part of Zion Church today. For the rest of the year, there were many activities as part of the 200-year celebration. This coming Chapel Sunday, 230 years after the first congregation was established, the people of Zion Church Wilberforce Street will continue to celebrate their ancestry in the spirit of family and fellowship. My name is Gerald Hastings Spain. I'm a member of Zion Methodist Church Wilberforce Street. I'm a trustee. I'm a leader, I'm a choirster, former choir master, I was a former circuit youth leader, and so on. So I've, uh, I have a fair knowledge of um, what has transpired in the last um, two decades or three, four decades. I joined the, the Zion Society in the early 70s as a young lad, 
because of my maternal background, because I grew up with the with the Hamiltons. Um, I mean, Moke happens to be my my grand aunt. Okay. And I and I grew up in that house when my when my maternal grandmother passed away. I was in primary school at Tawaila, and um, she told my grand my grandfather that um, this boy should come over to us, and uh, we live together as a family. So that, that's how I got into the Hamilton family. And growing up with the Hamilton family, Zion Methodist Church definitely will become a part of you. With that, with that background, my first organization was the Sunday school. I was in the Sunday school for like um, two years. And I, and I think we were the last set of, or second to last set of Sunday school students that took the Methodist Church exam, Sunday school exams. And after Sunday school, then I joined the choir. I worked my way to go in the choir as a representative of the sopranos, then assistant secretary, then secretary. Then um, I would think I was as assistant treasurer or some sort of financial secretary or something like that for a short period because those those days, those positions were held by big men. Mm-hmm. And you, you small boys don't dare um, go around. But there was a time when we, we said um, we too should... We should have a say in the administration of the choir. That what was what led me to become an assistant secretary in the first place before I became financial secretary. Thereafter, I became I was an assistant choir master to Mr. Pedro Hamilton. And when Mr. Pedro Hamilton retired, I became the choir master for five years. Thereafter, eight years ago, when there was a vacancy in the in the trust board, my name came up and I, I was recommended from the leaders' meeting. And I was voted in as a member of the of the transport. The beginner gets better, but out of the small lot, the pool again. But most of us we give without even feeling the pain. Because that is small thing we give. It's good for us when we give that we feel that something substantial have come out of us. I wish that present day I grew up with the Hamiltons. That was primarily what uh, attracted me or, or deepened my attachment to the church. 
because Grandpa George was choir master. Wanamoke was choir of blessed memory from Hamilton, choir Pedro Hamilton, choir You know, it's yeah. like the whole household where everything was centered around Zen George. And um, what we saw growing up is that uh, these people, they give, they give their all in all. It's not like now they say, oh, we want to, we want to do a repainting of the church or want to clean the, we want to clean the brass vessels in the church. Everybody will be asking, I want to buy basso. I want to, I want to be paid for labor. But those days, people will gladly take out all the brass vessels, they bring them home, or we the kids in the house who enjoy cleaning them. The old woman will buy the brasso, the, the puppy will come with the brasso, will clean those brass vessels, take them to the church, we'll be happy to say ourselves, this is our artwork, this is what we've done. When we, when we, when we are in the choir, um, when it comes to cleaning the robes, they will carry all the robes to the house, and those, those guys will engage in the clean of the robes. My mocker will come, make sure they are clean properly. We'll okay. be delighted to see all of these things hung and, and we'll be happy to pick them up too. When we grew up, the church became part of us. We want to be part of the choir, we want to be part of the youth fellowship, we want to be part of the stewards union you know, when you grow up, you want to be part of the men's fellowship. And eventually you are invited to, um, and because of your commitment and um, what you have given to the society, you are invited to join the trust board and you, 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 you feel rewarded. You see, but these days, these days now, nothing goes for free. All of these people will be looking out for money, money, money. Even when they join this, when they join the society, there is a notion that uh, society is one of the richest churches around. They have properties, they have rented houses to get good revenue. So, what they want now is they want from the church, not give to the church anymore. You see, so it's so difficult to do your mentoring. You have to be hard in doing your mentoring. You have to start with your own family. When you start with your own family, others will copy. You see, but it's very, it's, 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 a, it's a difficult task now. It but gives a whole new meaning yeah. to, to charity begins at home, right? Um, <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly, yes, you see. So um, that is, that is, that is the, the, the situation we find ourselves now, you see. Um, but we are, we are trying to change the narrative. It's, it will be gradual. Before, it was like um, the members were given to the church. Now the members want from the church. Is that's, what, that's the scenario we have now. Because before, we do, did not have scholarship fund. Now we have scholarship fund that gives um, scholarship to school-going, tertiary people, members of the church. So now people come to join the church because of that facility. Mm -hmm. You have, you have the welfare committee that gives to the indigents. Weekly or monthly, they give out small stipend to indigent members of the, of the society. But now you have members who come because of the welfare. You have members who can come with um, prescriptions, medical prescriptions for the church to take care of that. That's a lot of responsibility that the it's, church it's, it's a lot. is taking it's on. Lot. Yes. It's, it's a lot of responsibility. So, so with, with those, with those now on hand, people just think that um, oh, this church they, they give everything, so we we ought to belong to this church. So when they come, they don't give, they what? So you, you need to change that narrative. 
and shall get people to give because if those people never give their properties, what will they enjoy now? We have we have to look and um, see how which you can give. Coming up in the final episode of the series, we'll talk with the church's current reverend about his reflections at 2.30 and hear from the Zion Freetown team about some of the events planned over the coming year. We'll also explore Renaissance themes, including a revival of Back to Africa initiatives as more people and communities in the North American, Caribbean and other diasporas make genealogical and cultural journeys back not only to Zion, but to the city of Freetown and what it represents. But before that, in episode 6, Canadian Connections, Adrian introduces us to Dalhousie University's Dr. Afra Cooper, who wrote and performed 15 Ships. We'll also hear about the work of Karen Hudson, principal of Urban Drive High School in Nova Scotia, and one of the organisers of the 1792 project, who, along with Catherine Winkler and students of the school, are working to collect 1,196 letters from students and communities across Nova Scotia, inspiring important education about our shared past and historic commemoration of the 1792 journey and beyond. We hope you'll join us. Until then, thank you for listening and goodbye.